Hello. My name is Dr. Roger Henderson, and I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all of those of us working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes, and, if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups, and you can also follow me there too at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing home oxygen and the practicalities of how this drug is used. Now, for me at least, COPD is the usual reason for prescribing home oxygen and treatment can be for both symptomatic and prognostic reasons. The NICE clinical guideline for COPD recommends home oxygen assessment and review, stating that the need for oxygen therapy should be assessed in all patients with very severe airflow restriction, an FEV1 less than 30% of predicted, as well as patients with cyanosis, polycythemia, peripheral edema, raised jugular venous pressure, and patients with oxygen saturations less than 92% in air. Assessment should also be considered in patients with severe airflow obstruction who have an FEV1 of 30 to 49% of predicted. Patients with stable COPD and a resting SpO2 of 88% or less and 91% or less if core pulmonary or polycythemia is present, should be assessed for long-term oxygen therapy, which can offer survival benefit to both groups and improves pulmonary hemodynamics. The long-term administration of oxygen, by which I mean at least 15 hours a day, does appear to improve survival in patients with severe COPD. Now, the devices used to deliver oxygen can sometimes cause confusion. So the term oxygen devices refers to oxygen concentrators, compressed gas cylinders and liquid oxygen. And the term delivery systems refers to high or low flow oxygen. Oxygen concentrators provide a safe source of oxygen-enriched air and are recommended usually if oxygen is required for more than 8 hours in a 24-hour period. A typical concentrator delivers low flows of half to 5 litres a minute, but high-flow models are available generating up to 10 litres a minute. They're also economical for patients who require oxygen for long periods, they don't need to be refilled because they use room air, and they can last for up to 1,500 hours of continuous use. There are two types of concentrator available, portable and stationary. And the key differences between these are price, power options, size and weight, and oxygen output. With patients living active lives away from a wall socket, for example, a portable concentrator is the best choice. But the main disadvantage of concentrators is the need for electrical power 
although portable concentrators have a battery and can also plug into a wall socket. Compressed oxygen may be supplied under the NHS as cylinders, available in a range of sizes from small and portable to large and static, and the usual methods of delivering portable oxygen are a portable or lightweight cylinder, home fill cylinder and liquid oxygen cylinders. The oxygen flow is adjustable, usually medium, 2 litres a minute, or high, 4 litres a minute, as settings. In patients needing home supplemental oxygen at home, these are commonly combined with a concentrator and can serve as a backup if a power cut or concentrator failure occurs. So everyone who gets a concentrator should also get a portable cylinder of some type as well as their standard size backup cylinder. But in general, for most patients, however, I find that compressed oxygen cylinders are comparatively the least convenient oxygen supply option. There can also be sometimes a concern about when domiciliary oxygen is contraindicated or the approach to take if there's a smoker in the household. Well, oxygen is not indicated for patients with severe cardiopulmonary disease whose main complaint is dyspnea, but who maintain pulse oximeter readings greater than 91% in air, who, or who aren't sufficiently motivated to undertake the discipline required in using oxygen therapy for the prescribed numbers of hours per day. Unfortunately, there haven't been any high-quality trials to enable an objective assessment of the risks and benefits of the use of home oxygen in those patients who continue to smoke. But definitely the risks of prescribing oxygen to active smokers should always be considered on a case-by-case -case basis, and home oxygen assessment services may decide not to prescribe home oxygen to smokers if the risks in their judgment are too high. Particular consideration also needs to be given to the risks to children and the risks to neighbours in multiple occupancy dwellings. And where there's any reasonable doubt, the therapy should not be prescribed. And don't forget, NICE guidelines say that long-term oxygen therapy should not be offered to patients who continue to smoke despite being offered smoking cessation interventions. Carbon monoxide monitoring and measuring urine conitin may also help identify those patients who continue to smoke. Patients should be made aware that they should not use e-cigarettes and chargers within the vicinity of their home oxygen. If you're considering using domiciliary oxygen in palliative care, you might be surprised to hear there's no consensus for the correct clinical assessment strategy for the use of oxygen in palliative care although multiple tools do exist for assessing dyspnea. Patients with cancer or end-stage cardiorespiratory disease who are experiencing intractable breathlessness should not receive treatment with palliative oxygen therapy if they are non-hypoxemic or have only mild levels of hypoxemia above the current thresholds, in other words, an SpO2 greater than 92%. Patients with cancer or end-stage cardiorespiratory disease who are experiencing tractable breathlessness should receive assessment for a trial of treatment with opiates or sublingual lorazepam, as well as assessment for a trial of treatment with non-pharmacological treatments, including fan therapy from an appropriately trained healthcare professional. 
Now, although most domiciliary oxygen is arranged through specialist respiratory teams, we're sometimes expected as GPs to order it in an urgent situation ourselves. If oxygen is required immediately, such as before assessment by a specialist, this can be ordered on a HOOF A form with a home oxygen consent form, HOCF, being completed for every patient. Nasal cannula should also be considered as the first choice of delivery device for patients requiring home oxygen therapy. But, as an alternative, some patients may benefit from, or indeed prefer, a Venturi mask system. Most patients, and all those with COPD, should initially be given oxygen via a Venturi 24% mask at 2-3 to litres a minute, or a Venturi 28% mask at 4-6 to litres per minute, or nasal cannulae at a flow rate of 1-2 to litres per minute. In most emergency situations, in my experience, oxygen is given to patients immediately without a formal prescription, and the lack of a prescription should never preclude oxygen being given when needed in an emergency situation. However, a subsequent written record must be made of what oxygen therapy has been given to every patient in a similar manner to the recording of all other emergency treatment. Now, you may have a patient who's reliant on domiciliary oxygen who'd now like to travel abroad after the COVID pandemic restrictions have been lifted, and they may well ask for your advice on this. So, patients with respiratory problems planning to travel by air with a resting O2 of less than 92% in a room air should receive in-flight oxygen. And with most airlines, if in-flight oxygen is required, this is usually supplied by them but must be booked in advance. The airline medical department will issue a MEDIF form to be completed by the patient and GP or hospital specialist requiring details of the patient's condition and oxygen requirements. The airline's medical officer will then evaluate the patient's needs and the airline must be consulted in advance if humidification equipment is required. In-flight oxygen is usually prescribed at a rate of 2 litres a minute or 4 litres a minute given by nasal cannulae. Contraindications to commercial air travel include infectious TB, an ongoing pneumothorax with a persistent air leak or within three weeks of a fully resolved pneumothorax, major hemoptysis and a usual oxygen requirement at sea level at a flow rate exceeding 4 litres per minute. Advanced planning is obviously essential here, and patients are advised to book extra services required with the airline in advance, such as in-flight oxygen or wheelchairs, and also to formalise any agreement to take on-board nebulizers, ventilators, CPAP machines or portable concentrators, and airlines may charge for such services. If patients travel without medical insurance, they should be aware of the costs of emergency treatment and repatriation, and they should be very strongly advised not to travel without it. They should also ensure they've got sufficient essential medication in their carry-on bag and checked baggage, but under current rules, a doctor's letter is required for liquid medicines exceeding 100 mils taken into the aircraft cabin. Such a letter may also be required with unusual or multiple medication, 
and obviously alcohol and sedative use should be avoided. Now in my experience, and I suspect yours too, many patients request oxygen on discharge from hospital as they say they found it helpful when they were inpatients. Now in such a situation, all patients using oxygen at home should be referred to a home oxygen service to prevent the indefinite continuation of oxygen therapy if it isn't required. They should be issued with an oxygen alert card and they should be counselled on the use of oxygen. If home oxygen is ordered, then it should be limited to patients with an SpO2 less than 92%, who are breathless and who are unable to manage off oxygen. There are many different types of masks and cannula now used to deliver domiciliary oxygen. A nasal cannula, as I mentioned before, are the most common interface for oxygen delivery. This is largely the result of a compromise between patient comfort and tolerance when using oxygen for 15 hours or more a day and the need for controlled oxygen concentration delivery. These are usually lightweight, soft plastic or silicon-tipped tubing that are dual-pronged and sit in the nostrils, held in position by looping the tubing over the pinna of the ears, and they allow oxygen delivery continuously into the nose. They deliver a steady low flow of oxygen entrained in a larger volume of atmospheric air, so that each litre per minute of oxygen flow adds around 3-4% to the inspired oxygen concentration, and the respiratory rate, as well as the underlying disease process, determines the actual oxygen delivery. However, oxygen delivery with nasal cannula can be variable with individual inspired oxygen concentrations varying between 24 to 35% or even up to 40% with the same flow rate of 2 litres per minute. High flow nasal cannulae are used in critically unwell patients and are not appropriate to the home oxygen population. Turning to oxygen masks, these are minimal volume made of clear, soft plastic and held over the nose and mouth with elasticated straps for comfort. Standard Venturi masks are designed to deliver accurate concentrations of oxygen when used with certain flow rates, and they're favoured for delivery of controlled oxygen concentrations when this is clinically important, such as patients with hypercapnic respiratory failure requiring long-term oxygen treatment. Other patient factors may also be relevant, such as confused or demented patients where flows might be altered in error, although concentrators can have their flow dial locked to prevent this. So, that's a quick overview of home oxygen treatment, and I do hope you found this podcast helpful. Please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you've any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. So thank you for listening, and as always, until the next time, goodbye.